Open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. Um, that's the last book of the Bible. There's a little concordance up front if you're looking for it. Um, and you can find it, very last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21. Got the scripture up on the screen. We'll start there. We're continuing in our series, Eternity and End Times. It's been fun, right? I said it's been fun. Maybe not for y'all, maybe for me, but it's been a good series. Eternity and Times, Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Amen. My son looked at my Bible the other day. He said, Daddy, why you got an old Bible like that? He said, I don't know. I like it. <laughs> so it works. Amen. It hasn't lost its power and it won't. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth, that's the ones that we are in currently, had passed away. And the sea was no more. Hold on to that clause. We'll get there in a few moments. John's writing says, And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Hold on to that. His dwelling place is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It doesn't say a few tears, most tears, but it says what? Every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. That's a good place to rejoice. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You may be seated. Today we're journeying back into Revelation. I think we could spend a whole year um, here in, in Revelation. It has a lot of layers, depth, and complexity. And so... Um, for, for some of you that this might be your first time in church, um, Revelation's kind of that crown jewel book as far as complexity goes within the Bible and, and Scripture. Um, and I love what Pastor Jacob, one of our pastors, said last week, that we typically avoid things that we don't understand, right? We, we typically kind of avoid them and step to the side of those things, but I, I don't know if that's necessarily what we should do, Amen. I think we should pray for wisdom, for the, heart, for the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened so that we might under, understand. And so when you look at the big picture, it's not overly complicated of revelation of what God is doing. Um, and it's basically he sits enthroned, he's sovereign, he rules and reigns despite all the chaos going on. Nothing is able to get him off of his throne and the craziness of the world. And it's the same thing in our life. And so quick recap um, is two weeks ago I preached on Revelation 12 where there was war in heaven, where Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels and defeated Satan and how power and authority belong to Jesus the Christ. And then last week we dug into um, one of the more complicated areas, the seven seals and the seven trumpets. And if you haven't been able to watch it, um, go back, watch that online on the website or on YouTube. Um, basically the summation of it is 
The seven seals and seven trumpets were judgment that were unleashed on the earth. And despite the vast chaos and craziness, God remains seated high and lifted up and is victorious. Amen? And if he's not dethroned then, he ain't dethroned now and what we're going through. Right? Our stuff ain't too big. It's not too complicated for him if he can go through that and sit on his throne. So today we're diving into the last part of Revelation, Revelation 21. And John, the Apostle John, the beloved, he's on the island of Patmos, which is west um, of Turkey area, out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, and so close to the Grecian Isles. It's an island that's out in that part of the Mediterranean, writing to uh, this vision that is there as he's been basically banished to this island. And John, in his vision, he sees a new heaven and a new earth. Everyone say new. Aren't you thankful that God still is creating new things? Amen. He has not stopped, which means in our life, no matter where we are, no matter where we've been, no matter the things we've done, no matter how many times we've fallen, he will still create new things in us, around us, and for us. Amen. Doesn't matter what we've been walking through, he will create new things. And not just better things. He doesn't just make things better. He creates them to be New, because at some point, another software update don't do for this thing, right? right? At some point, version 21 point, oh, y'all, see your Android users, they're eyeing me right now. Yeah, my iPhone, after like version 21.79354, it doesn't do, and the battery is still draining. I got to throw this thing in the trash and get a new one, Right? You need a new one. It gets broken. It's a piece of junk at that point. And you don't just need a new version of software update. You need a new thing. This is exactly what he does in our lives. Not just a better version, but a new version. Amen? And it doesn't always happen. It doesn't always happen in an instant. Sometimes it's a process. It's a process, but he makes them new. And as Christians in this newness concept, we are to long for We are to long for the new heavens and the new earth. Not the current one where we find ourselves, but the new heavens and the new earth. One that is not corrupted by sin. Amen? One that is not fractured by sin and the brokenness that exists all around us. But one that would take us back to the perfection of the Garden of Eden where everything was good. Right? No pain, no war, no suffering. Jesus, in talking to his disciples, in John 14, verse 3, he tells them, I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. If he was preparing one for them, he's preparing one for us. Hebrews, and referring to Abraham, says in verse 10 of chapter 11, for he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations. Where where was he looking? Forward. What direction? Y'all a little quiet on me this morning. I know it's cold, but he was looking forward. He wasn't looking to the past of the glory days. He wasn't looking to the days of the faithfulness of God and the past and the miracles of God and the past and, and, and digressing or regressing. He was looking forward, forward to the promise that lied ahead. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder was who? Was God. 
was God. We had some home builders in the first service. And I said, look, I, I'd be glad for you to build me a home now here in the natural. But in eternity, I want God building my home. I want him laying the foundation. I want him putting up the walls. I want him doing the interior decorating. Like Abraham was looking forward to that city whose designer, whose builder was God Almighty. And if Abraham was looking forward to it, if the disciples were looking forward to that place, then certainly God is preparing that place, a place for us, which means God is currently working and creating, building and designing something in behalf of those who are faithful. Currently, right? It's not something that's just going to exist or that he is currently working. It will be new to us, but it is something that exists right now. And he's not creating a world that's going to fit us. He's going to create us new to fit the world that he has created because in him all things are new. But in the same breath, in the same breath, God doesn't just want us to wait for the manifestation of his future kingdom. Amen? He doesn't want us just to wait for the there and then. But in the here and now, what did Jesus teach us to pray? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Church, we are to labor, actively labor towards the present kingdom, the present establishment of his kingdom on earth today as it is in heaven. That's why we do Christmas of hope. It's why we do mission of hope. It's why we go to El Salvador. It's why we do outreach in our city. It's why we support Samaritan House and the different ministries because his kingdom must come today and be established in our lives today. And we are to actively labor. My wife, she's eight months pregnant right now, and active labor is coming down the pipeline, right? There's, there's an active labor that is coming down in that same sense. We are to actively labor for the kingdom to be established in the here and now, not just wait for new heavens and a new earth. And as Christians, we aren't built, we're not designed, we are not here to live in preservation and protection mode, church, but we are here to drive back darkness, drive back darkness and to take his light and let his light shine in us and through us to the world that is around us. I don't want to be caught in the corner of a ring, y'all, till the trumpet sounds taking blows from the enemy. But baby, put me in the middle of that ring. Let's swing and let's fight and let's establish the kingdom of light here and now and push back darkness in Jesus' name. Bringing the manifestation of his kingdom into this present world. Church, the newness of Christ should constantly be flowing forth from our lives. The old should be passing away as we wait for this day of the Lord. Revelation 21.1, if you pull it up for me. It says, then I saw a new heaven and new earth. Should have it right there in front of you in your Bible. The first earth passed away. See, God isn't just rehabilitating the world. This world will be purged by fire. Like I said about the iPhone, sometimes things are just so worn out and broken, you need a new one. And that's the case with our world, with all of this mess that is happening here. God is preparing something beyond comparison for his people, which is why the first earth will be done away with because it's temporary. Everybody say temporary. 
But the new heavens and the new earth will be permanent. Just as our bodies here and now, they are temporary, right? This, this flesh at one day, it will die. As appointed unto man wants to die and then the judgment. We will all die at some day. We must pass away. There must be a transition point that the dead in Christ shall rise, right? We, we cannot inherit the eternal right now, but there must be a transition for the temporal cannot inherit the eternal, right? We, 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 one of the great deceptions is that we live and we think and we feel as though we are permanent, but we aren't. Which is why the writer, Paul, he says, we may not all fall asleep, meaning we may not all die, but we will all be changed. We will all be changed for the temporary cannot inherit the eternal. Look, I, I know a lot of us, we look really good right now. We're, we got our Sunday morning best on. You got your, your clothes on, your watch on, your hair's did. I mean, it, it's looking good on Sunday morning, but it's not good enough. It's not good enough. It will never be good enough to inherit what God has for us. There is a transition and a change that must take place. Solomon and Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes gives mankind the sobering reminder that there's a time to be born and there's a time to die. And many spend their lives thinking that this is, this is it. And we live as though we are permanent, that all we have is, is this. And people say, I'm not here for a long time. I'm just here for a, a, a good time. And, and God desires not that we focus here and now, but we focus on, on eternity, the things that are to come, right? Because everything around us Everything around us is temporary except for the word of God. Jesus said in Matthew, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Scripture is clear. Life is but a vapor. We're here today. We're gone tomorrow, but his word is permanent. Psalm says it's fixed. It's established in the heavens, right? And so this new heaven and new earth comes in for the first earth and heaven had passed away. And the next part of that verse says, and the sea was no more. Pastor preached about the crystal sea about a year, year and a half ago. And I think it was around the same time I preached a message. We had UNF there on that day. I preached on hell. Y'all are getting it good. I preached on hell when the last class was here. I'm preaching on heaven today. So y'all aren't good with me. And so... Um, pastor preached on this message on, on the crystal sea then about a year ago in August, uh, but this sea is not the crystal sea that it's referring to. It says the sea was no more. This sea that the writer John is referring to is the sea of wickedness and the sea of death. In Revelation 13, 1, we read this frightening picture and it says, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea. It had 10 horns, seven heads, 10 diadems or diamonds on its horns and blasphemous names were on its head. The sea is full of wickedness, full of evil, full of just everything corrupt and, and broken. And you know what it's representative of? The earth that we are currently living in. And in the new heavens and in the new earth, it will have no place. It says in the sea, the sea of wickedness, the sea of death, was no more. Let's go back two weeks when Satan was cast down like lightning from heaven. Where did he go? Where do we say he got struck down to? 
to this earth, right? He was struck down to this world. Satan was given dominion over the earth, which is why Genesis chapter 1, if you think of that first book of the Bible, that the earth was void and formless and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Why? Because the devil, Satan, he was inhabiting this area. What happens when he inhabits lives? They're formless, they're void, they're dark, right? I mean, it gives the same exact picture of lives because it was basically subleased to the enemy. He was called the prince of the power of the air. So when God comes into the earth in Genesis 1 and begins creating, he creates everything good, but he does so in a fractured environment. He does so in a fractured, fallen World, which is why we see the serpent, the devil, present within the Garden of Eden. Romans 8.20 gives us this picture. It says, for creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him, God, who subjected it in hope that creation would be set free from the bondage, right? God was subjecting it in hope that there would be a longing for something that is so much greater. And so God creates mankind as his image bearers in a domain that is fractured by Satan. God went to the enemy's turf, right? And he placed us, mankind, as his salt, as his light, built and fashioned in his image so that we could literally push back the darkness of the kingdom of earth and let the light of the gospel shine through us. And then Jesus, what does he do? He comes to this earth, he descends, he takes on the form of a servant, he lives here, he dies here, he resurrects here so that he can create a bridge for mankind so that they don't have to be separated from God the Father, but they have access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He came and he dwelt among us to give us hope and a future. Church, I'm thankful that God is eradicating the wickedness of this world and that in the new heavens and in the new earth, as we read in Revelation 12, wickedness will not be permitted entrance. It's no more access, no more entrance, no more corruption. His place was taken away, no trespassing, no further. So the sea of wickedness is gone, but also the sea of death says the sea of death will be no more. Isaiah 52, or 25, 7. And it says, and he, God, will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations, and he will swallow up, drink it, Right, it just ingest, he'll swallow up death forever. God will literally swallow up death, he'll remove it. I'm thankful that in this place, that death will be completely eradicated. Amen. Death will be completely gone, it will be eradicated from mankind. And, church, if you've lived for any length of time, you know what it's like to lose someone close. And over the past few years, it's felt very intensified with the pandemic and everything that has gone on. But here's the good news, that on this mountain, on this mountain that it's referring to, death will be swallowed up 
forever. Not for a period of time, but for all of eternity. And church, although death is, yes, an end, it is not the end for those who have faith in Christ Jesus, right? For the household of faith, we will be given a place of permanence with Christ Jesus our Lord. Revelation 21, 2, it says, and I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. From who? From God. A gift. A gift being prepared for his beloved. A gift being prepared for his bride. Salvation, a free gift. But now Jerusalem, new Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The holy city, New Jerusalem, comes out of heaven. A city that's been prepared by God himself. Verse 2 says it's a, a gift. Aren't you glad that God has good, eternal plans for us? Right? Not just plans for here and the temporary, but good, eternal plans. Good plans that are a part of eternity. Plans that are better than anything that we could ever imagine. You often hear it quoted so much by people saying, I know the plans that I have for you. And most, 99.8% of people, when they're saying that, they're speaking about the here and now, right? That I know God's got good plans for me here and now, and I believe that God has, I wholeheartedly believe that God has good plans for us in the here and now. But ultimately, God's plans are eternal plans that are good plans, plans for a hope and plans for a future. Well, you say, hey, how can I have a future if death is imminent? No, no, no. We have a future that is beyond the grave. Amen. We have a future beyond the grave for those who are of the household of faith. We focus so many times on the here and now, but God is pointing us, he's shifting us, he's gearing us towards eternity, which is why Paul would write in Romans 8, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time. He says the sufferings of this present time. He's not minimizing the suffering. He's not minimizing the trial. He's not minimizing the valley that we are walking through. He's not minimizing the tribulation that is at hand. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Yes, things may be weighty here in this present moment. Yes, things may be troublesome. Yes, they may be burdensome. And we may be weighed down in the here and now. But church, they hell in comparison. He ain't minimizing what we're walking through now, but he is maximizing the coming reward that is coming through Christ Jesus himself, which is why I consider the present sufferings. I've been reading this verse over and over in the hospital this week. Saying, Dad, for I consider that the present sufferings of this life is not worth compared to the glory, the coming weight that is going to be revealed. For our eyes are not fixed on the here and now, but we are focused on a kingdom where the incorruptible, where it's completely incorruptible, it is eternal, and it is this kingdom that we are marching towards in Christ Jesus. For I consider that those sufferings, they pale. Church God has something so magnificent something so glorious, prepared, that it makes the intense trials, the intense tribulation, the hurt, the pain, the weight we feel in this present moment, it makes it pale. It's how we can have peace 
in the midst of a storm. It's how we can have peace in the midst of a hurricane when everything in life is raging around us. We say, God, we hold on. We hold on for the coming hope that we have in you. Something so beautiful. Verse 2 says, the new Jerusalem will be prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I love that, the imagery that is there, that, that Jerusalem, it's being meticulously put together as a bride is prepared, as a bride is adorned for her husband. And listen, when my wife, when she walked down this aisle right here, nine years ago, almost 10 years ago, she was adorned. Right, she was, she was prepared. Like we got three kids and a fourth one on the way. When she walked down that aisle, I, she was ready, right? She was prepared. She was adorned. She spent a lot of time in preparation mode for a few-hour wedding. For a few-hour wedding. God is giving the imagery of eternity, of how God is preparing eternity for us. Listen, ladies, if, if, if you're married, if you go back to that wedding season of life where you meticulously plan every detail for that moment, right? Think of the amount of time that was invested for that first glimpse, the going to pick out a gown, going to pick out a hairstylist, a makeup stylist, a nail stylist, a hairbrow stylist, and a pastor stylist that will officiate the wedding, right? There's stylists for everything around here nowadays. Pastor, uh, he was sitting down one day in a premarital counseling session, and uh, the guy asked him, said, Pastor, how much are you going to charge me to, um, for, for officiating the wedding? And uh, he looked back at the guy and said, well, how much is she worth to you? <laughs> he didn't answer. <laughs> we do it for free, right? We don't charge a dime, but it was funny. How much is she worth? Right? You go through the practice runs of the cosmetology and the practice makeup run, the practice hair run, the search for jewelry, the search for shoes, the smells, the incense, the flowers, the bouquets, the decoration, the list goes on and on and on of all of the details that go into it. I was just there for like the cake testing and cater testing. That's all I cared about. I was like, hey, let's get some food. But a bride spends countless hours preparing for that moment. And this is the imagery. This is the imagery that God is evoking for us, that church, God is meticulously preparing new Jerusalem, heaven, as a bride is adorned, as a bride is prepared for her husband. Fellas, that you've walked down the aisle, can I take you back to that moment while you're here and you were waiting, waiting for those doors to open. I mean, it's just, just going, right? Your heart is just going. And when those doors opened and you saw your bride, you were in awe, right? The emotion, the sense of desire, the sense of expectation, the sense of longing, uh, waiting to be fulfilled. You know what God is doing? He's writing to his church and telling us to be like that husband waiting right there waiting for that new Jerusalem. He's using this exact imagery, telling us to, hey, yes, things might be good here, 
But it's, it's nothing, nothing compared to what's about to come down that aisle. And our hearts should be just beating, right? Our hearts should be waiting with longing and expectation. He is saying, this is exactly what I'm doing in heaven. God is calling for his church to eagerly look forward to, for the hope and to expect that day to scream, Maranatha, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. It's the spirit and the bride saying, Come, come for the eternity that he has prepared. Something that is beyond all comparison. Something that he is meticulously crafting every detail for. That he's designing and building and making. Something that is a place of perfection. A place that is beyond all comparison for us. And he wants us to look forward to that day so much more than we look forward to this life. Church, heaven is our hope, and we got to keep our eyes fixated on this prize. I love the song, Blessed Assurance, that says, in the line of the song, it says, the foretaste of glory divine. This present life is just, it's just a taste. Right? We think it's good. Wait, wait for heaven. Or you think it's, think it's bad? should see what hell looks like, right? The foretaste of both pain and suffering, the foretaste of what hell would appear like, the foretaste, just a, a smidge, a little taste of what heaven, the foretaste of glory divine, that it pales in comparison. Worship team, if you would come to the stage. It says, and I heard in verse three, a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Isn't it amazing to think that God would want to dwell with us? Like the infinite God of the universe, that he would want to dwell with us. Creation that's broken, finite, sinful, that he would long to dwell with us. This is the hope, the great hope of the Bible, that God would choose us. Exodus 25, 8 says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. His desire to dwell in the middle of us. Leviticus 26, 11 says, and I will make a dwelling among you and my soul. My soul, it won't abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God. I will walk among you and I will be your God and you, you shall be my people. Ezekiel 37, 26 says, and I will make a covenant of peace. Covenant of peace with them. And it shall be an everlasting, not a temporary, not a finite, not a one that is passing away, but an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in the midst of their land and multiply them. I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Zechariah 2.10 and 11 says, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come, and I dwell in your midst, declares the Lord, and many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day, and they shall be my people, 
and I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Church, this is the great hope of Scripture, that we will be dedicated, consecrated, and He will come and dwell in our midst. First Peter 2.9 says it like this, but you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his light. I'm thankful that our God, he takes us he claims us, and then he comes to dwell amongst us, right? He doesn't just cast us off, but he calls us his own. Does that sink in? Like he calls us a chosen, he says, I choose you. You're a chosen generation. I, the God of the universe, I choose you. Not just them, but I choose you you for he loved this world that he gave his only son he chose us as a chosen generation makes us a royal priesthood and then says that he will dwell among us calls us to declare his glory to be filled with his presence to be perfected in his presence and in his presence there is right and at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore Right? And it's in this context of him dwelling amongst us that he will wipe away. He will wipe away every tear, every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning. Crying pain for the former things have passed away mm. that's the hope that's the hope we keep our eyes out here in front of us yes and here wish I had my wireless mic and here yes there can be a lot of hurt pain trial and suffering keep it here, if we keep it out here, it gives us the hope, the strength, the joy to walk this road, to say, yea, in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod, thy staff, they comfort me. If you would stand with me. Church, the choices is ours. For the faithful, God's best a city adorned, a beautiful, glorious city. It's waiting where he himself will be dwelling among us. It's waiting. But for those that are faithless, eternal hell is waiting. The foretaste of suffering, it's waiting. But it's for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, 
the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will all be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. There's heaven, there's hell. No in between. What will we choose? It's our choice. Everybody's head bowed, eyes closed, altar team, if you would go ahead and come down to the front. God has good plans, eternal plans for every single one of us. And it's okay to not be okay. If you find yourself today here, you're not okay. It's okay. You just can't stay that way, right? It's okay to not be okay. Let's just not stay that way. That's why we take these moments like this and we say, Lord, we're gonna surrender it all to you. And if you find yourself here today, you say, Pastor, I need to surrender my life. I need to lay it down. I need to bow my knee at the foot of the cross this morning and make him Lord of my life. Wonderful, wonderful. We rejoice with you in that, right? That is the best decision that we can make. And so with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, if you say, Pastor, I need to make some things right with Jesus this morning, I want you to just slip up that hand this morning. Slip up that hand. And we're gonna pray a prayer together. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for salvation. Thank you for coming into this world to forgive me of my sins. I ask that you would be Lord of my life. Help me to live for you each and every day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate those that prayed that prayer this morning. Amen. Amen. God has good plans for each and every person that is here. And if you prayed that prayer, we're going to open up altars in a moment for some prayer time. Um, I want you to come forward to, to pray. But if you're here this morning and you say, hey, I've got family members that they're just not right with the Lord or um, and you want to pray in their behalf or maybe you're going through a struggle or uh, just a, a hard time, a hard situation right now and you want somebody to agree with you in prayer or maybe you need healing in your body, this is that moment where we can come. We're going to worship in the background. I'll close out and just a few minutes, but let's take this time. And if you need prayer for anything, you prayed that prayer this morning too, come down to the front as we worship together.